You've watched Kids in the Hall, right? I have spent uh, all of my life watching Kids in the Hall <laughs> in some form or another. Michael hasn't seen Michael, my husband, hasn't seen much of it yet. And so I was showing a bunch of clips to him that are on YouTube, which is lovely. Thank you. Thank you, YouTube, for doing that. I mean, obviously, YouTube didn't do it. But anyway, hmm. and I was showing him a bunch of clips and I got to show him one of my favorite clips from the I believe it's from the first season. Uh, it's called Girl Drink Drunk. Yes, that's a classic. It's absolute classic in which Dave Foley plays a up and coming businessman and the you know criminally underrated Kevin McDonald is his boss. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, we're giving you a promotion, celebrate, have a drink. And he's like, no, Dave's like, oh, I don't really drink. And Kevin's like, oh, come on, have a, have a, I forget what it was, Fruity Rudy O'Tootie. It's a girl drink, tastes like candy. Dave Foley then descends into uh, a wonderful montage of him just getting absolutely schlozzled on girl drinks. And it reminded me, not only is it a very funny sketch, but it inspired in me when I was a teenager and I first saw it, a desire to someday go out and properly get girl drink drunk. Mm -hmm. Just have one day of just slamming back things that came in giant cups or giant pineapples that are carved out with elaborate, you know, umbrellas and straws and the works. And I got a few people who were excited about the idea, but never happened. And now I'm old. And if I had that much of that kind of alcohol, it wouldn't be the sort of thing I could shake off in a day of hangover. It would, it would, you know, be permanent diabetes land. Yeah. Now it would be menopausal drink drunk. Ooh, what do I get to drink there? More white wine? <laughs> I suppose that's true. You get to go to uh, white wine with all of your same aged friends and uh, you go out to brunch and all of you argue over which one of you is the Samantha in your sex in the city group. There's a fantastic episode of Mark Marin's WTF podcast where he's interviewing the musician St. Vincent. Oh. And uh, she's great, of course, but one of the things she talks about is how she doesn't really partake in any in any substances. She just sometimes on the tour bus after a long day, not obviously she's not driving the tour bus, she's a star. But like <laughs> sometimes she and the other bandmates, they just sit around and they they just drink some white wine and they call it housewiven. <laughs> Which I think is the best term for sitting down and having one, oh, maybe two glasses of white wine. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> Driving and housewiving. <laughs> so good. Uh, but yeah, but that was one of the things was that she is, sort of, you know, has gotten to where she is. She seems like the sort of person with her crazy style and her interesting lyrics that, you know, she might be getting some of that inspired by by the drugs or by the something or other. Yeah, the devil's weed. And yet she barely touches the stuff. And of course, unlike, I mean, Mark Marin has been sober for many years, but mm -hmm. back in the day was quite. Yes, that was Mark Marin's psychedelic period. <laughs> I don't know if it was psychedelics <laughs> he was on. I don't know what it was really, but I don't know if it did him any favors. I, I believe I believe his first album was called A Lighter Shade of, are we good? <laughs> uh, so last episode, you talked about how stand-up stand comedians who are get on stage all schnozzled. Mm. I don't know why that's my go-to word these days. Who gets to get on stage all over toasty are... That's better. <laughs> that's less childlike. <laughs> I like are... the Dr. Susian schnozzled. Schnozzled is good. He gobbled all the schnozzles and was himself quite schnozzled. Um, but how stand-ups who go on stage all, all gobsmacked 
are not doing themselves or the audience any favors. So were you more of a Marin or more of a St. Vincent? <laughs> well, I was <laughs> I was more of a Marin and I, I always have been because I don't drink very much. When I have drunk, I mean, I've had a couple, I think I've had at most because I've, uh, I abstained from drinking for a long time uh, because of alcoholism in my family. So I was really terrified because as a child, I would see these confusing behaviors firsthand and uh, it left a really big mark. So uh, I was always pretty afraid of that. And I've also seen some people uh, fall into heavier drug use. So I was also kind of afraid of that. And while I have enjoyed certain herbs and spices in my time. <laughs> Thank you, the colonel. Yeah. I don't know who the colonel's play by this week. I think it actually might be St. Vincent. I thought, I thought it was Ellen. I always assume it's Ellen these days. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, she's everywhere. Um, but uh, while I would occasionally enjoy such things, uh, one, uh, such things are usually available in strains. And if you're just kind of partaking with friends, as would be the case with me. You could have very different reactions because you're getting very different strains. You're just getting generic reefer. And for the most part, like I have to say, it's like I don't enjoy most marijuanas as as will age me quite a bit in saying. <laughs> uh, I really like something where I can uh, smoke and listen to music and just kind of enjoy. If, that, if there's something that, that relaxes you, I, I will be all about that. But for the most part, it's like, oh – I'm a very self-conscious, anxious person who's in his own head all the time. I, and I take a drug to suppress that. But what I'm also going to do is I'm going to smoke this drug that's going to put me way back in there <laughs> and also fuck with my senses. And it's, it was a bad scene, but it was a mistake I made time and again. Like, I, I would generally, like, enjoy it with, like, a couple of people. But if I had to be around a lot of people, unless it was that those one or two strains that i particularly like uh it was all bad <laughs> and it was really really antsy and i found out once that i would be performing after i had gotten uh to use uh, i guess a newfoundland term uh baked out of my trees <laughs> this actually ties into an earlier episode because i found out that i would be performing on this show because a comedian who was in town performing at the local yuck yucks in newfoundland uh, wanted me to open for him, but the club was putting all of their weight behind a comic named Neil, who we went into detail about in a previous episode. And so I assumed I had lost it, and the comic even called me to apologize. It's like, I'm going to fight this, but like it doesn't look good. They really want this Neil guy. I don't want him there, but they want him there. This is crazy. I should be able to put on anybody I want. And so I thought that was fine, so I was going to uh, take in some smoke with friends and, uh, I get a call about an hour later. When can you get down? Not a good thing to hear when you're a very stoned Chris. No. And instead of, of being like, Oh, Hey man, like knowing who it was, I just said, what happened? <laughs> I don't think I've ever, now I'm a deeply fat man, Chris, but I've never sweated Upon two words of a phone call before, <laughs> but the sheer panic that hit me, it, it was like I had gone down Splash Mountain. And 
I started to panic. I was like, well, what do I do? I can't turn this down. This is a big opportunity. And this guy likes me. And, and who knows where this could go? But, but ultimately, oh my God, I can't, I can't possibly uh, de-stonify myself. This is crazy. This is insanity. I have two hours, though, and I want to do this show. And most importantly, it's about putting Neil in his place. And that's also a very good feeling. <laughs> so I had to frantically make a decision. And on the phone, I went, uh, I'll be there. And I got a cab to Yuck Yucks, which incidentally, calling a cab, waiting for that cab and thinking that it's the cab you called and not just someone who's spying on you <laughs> is an extremely scary scenario. But I got in the cab. I did that really self-conscious thing uh, that you do if you get all up in your head when you're stoned. And, and I gave him the address. And then I looked down and be like, I hope I said the actual place I'm going. And I couldn't ask him, what did I just say? So I just went along for the ride. <laughs> and I actually told him to go to Toys R Us. <laughs> I'm not sure why. But I had, I had the option. It's like, I could get out of here. And not get the embarrassment. But I looked outside the window. I saw one child. And that one child had a look that I'm just being paranoid now. But at the time, I thought, oh, God, he knows. <laughs> and I am just – I think people – like, you really notice any any kind of look that you get if you're getting really kind of squirrely and paranoid. And uh, for me, it's probably just that there's this bug-eyed man who's sweating – in the back of a cab who pulled up to Toys R Us. <laughs> and as a child, I too would stare. So I just said, never mind. Let's go to Yuck Yucks. <laughs> and uh, we went there. I am still like, I am not fit. Right. I am not fit. And I don't want to perform like this because even when I've been like very, 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 very minor uh, stoned for a show, because I've occasionally made the mistake of sharing a joint with like six other comics. So a bit of one joint among six people, that's not anything like that. That wouldn't affect most people, but I'm pretty sensitive <laughs> in all things. And I, I had previously had moments where I choked up and barely got through a set. And I thought I can't do that again, but here I am really messed up, barely functional, like super obviously stoned. So this, this is going to be your doc Ellis moment, right? <laughs> It could be. It could have been. Uh, no hitter. I, no hitter. <laughs> um, I, 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 I march my way in, into the comedy club. I quickly kind of greet everybody because you're all palsy with the waitresses and you know everybody. And then I very quickly dart into the uh, – back then they had a green room before it became the club owner's office, before the club closed down. <laughs> Due to mismanagement. But I quickly darted into the green room uh, and got the uh, the waitress who was so kind to, to come by and be like, hey, do you want anything? You're you're here two hours early for some reason. <laughs> uh, and fortunately, no one was there as I had hoped. And I was like, yes, because my plan was – I confess to you, Chris, I don't know how medically sound this is, but I saw something very similar uh, in an episode of The Prisoner. I realized that if I was going to sober up, what I would need to do is I would need to consume as many things as possible. 
So I, I turned to the waitress and I said, I would like to have uh, a water. I would like to have a coffee. And I would like to have a uh, six pack of beer if I can. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. <laughs> so you can pee the, 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 the marijuana out. Yes, that's exactly what Patrick McGowan did when he was uh, poisoned in the episode Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling of the Prisoner. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I got my episodes mixed up. That was the girl who was death. Moving on. <laughs> I I just began drinking and drinking and drinking. And the strange thing is that uh, the mellowing effect of, of beer or alcohol of any kind can at least make you a little less paranoid if you're if you're very uh stoned and feeling antsy that was that was my <laughs> uh substance hack <laughs> that i learned but yeah i i was just basically in one end out the other in one end out the other uh so there was a man trying not to look conspicuous darting back and forth and remember this is an open restaurant until the comedy club starts so there's people in there eating while like sports or talk radio is being blasted over the radio. And I would dart from a room that no one saw the entrance to stealthily walk to the bathroom with, while trying to avoid eye contact with everybody. And this went on for, I'd say about three times every half hour. <laughs> and eventually uh, to make things worse, Neil showed up hoping that I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> in the hopes of getting this gig, making me even more nervous. But I am starting to mellow out a little bit. And I thought, okay, you know what? This is this. No, I've got to take ownership of this moment. And you know what? I am nowhere near sober enough. I have about an hour to go. And the waitress comes back. I order another water, another coffee, as much beer as I can. And could I have two pounds of chicken wings, please? And she initially thought, it's like, oh, will you be sharing with Neil? And I said, no. Oh, God, no. So I, 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 I ate chicken wings in front of him like a goddamn king. <laughs> that's, that's not what kings eat, but all right. <laughs> and listen, if you're a king of the comedy world, you, you take what you can get. Oh, I haven't seen that movie yet. Sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, and I was more like King Ralph. But anyway, <laughs> I, 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 I ate as much as I could. I got pretty stuffed, but I was sober. And I waddled my way onto stage. And I had a very good opening set. And the and, and Neil looked very sad and left early. <laughs> and later that comedian took me out for drinks and got me super stoned. <laughs> <laughs> But what? Are, but like that's me. I, I mean, I, I don't know what kind of experiences you've had aside from what you've told me before about your best set ever. But uh, typically, like, how would you handle your liquor or other substances while performing? Well, before I before I do that, uh, do you know the Doc Ellis story? No. In fact, when you mentioned it, I was like, I initially reacted as though you were talking about uh, Doc Severinsen, the guy who played Bandage on Carson Show. <laughs> so Doc Ellis was a baseball player. He was a pitcher for the for the pirates and there's a video about him there's a great video about him on youtube that's animated and yeah he was a person who forgot he was playing that day <laughs> took a bunch of lsd somebody called i think it was and said hey where are you gonna get here soon and he 
high off his brain, got himself to the stadium and then pitched a no-hitter, one of a very few number of no-hitters that have ever happened in baseball <laughs> history. <laughs> oh, man. Well, they shouldn't take steroids. They should all take LSD. And you can take both. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure you could, but I guess this that also falls under the question of like, hey, why don't they make the airplane out of that black box? I'm sure there's a very good reason why baseball players aren't high on LSD all the why, time. Why don't they make the baseball stadium out of LSD? I would enjoy that way more. <laughs> so, so for me, first off, um, I've never had marijuana except secondhand. Oh. It never, it never sounded appealing to me. Um, hmm. I'm already pretty chill. I'm already fascinated by small things. I've always got the munchies. I don't need the paranoia. Like, there's nothing. I don't know. There's nothing. There's nothing that people say about it that makes me think that this is exactly what I need in my life. But uh, I've certainly enjoyed a bit of alcohol. Um, although I also, I also like you, have had some substance abuse in my family, and that meant that I started drinking alcohol very cautiously and carefully. But in terms of uh, as a performer, for me, it was very much a matter of just learning the optimal amount of alcohol to have before a set. If you had some, then you could be more relaxed and, you know, not be so uptight and be a bit quicker in your reflexes, uh, ironically enough. Hmm. I believe that's not how that works with driving. <laughs> but, <laughs> no. but I find on stage, it does, it does seem to work a little bit like that. Uh, obviously, if you have too much, then everything just gets sloppy and terrible. Um, although I'm pretty good at handling my alcohol, I believe. I'm pretty good drunk, and I'm pretty good at not just falling to pieces. And I don't drink to, like, blackout levels. Mm. But yeah, as I, I don't remember how much I've said about my that uh, famous best moment ever as a, as a musician, but I was quite drunk when it happened. I was ver, 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 ver drunk. Uh, and then called out for requests and uh somebody in the audience who was also very 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 drunk requested fire and ice which is the name of a robert frost poem which i actually is one of the handful of poems i happen to know by heart it's pretty short uh which i could have launched into but somebody somebody before i caught on somebody in the audience also realized that they were talking about fire and rain which we had covered at a birthday party for a friend who was also <laughs> in the audience that day so like i was like okay yeah we could do fire and rain so we launched into it now that was that had been over a year before, prior and that was the only time we had done that and so the band was not quite prepared uh nor was i but you know whatever whatever when we had done fire and rain that time at the birthday party the year prior I had changed a bunch of the lyrics to turn it into a kind of murder ballad. Oh, okay. Um, where the where, where the idea is that, you know, Suzanne, uh the the woman that James Taylor misses in the song, yeah, he's killed. Uh because that's murder ballad logic. Like you get sad about the person that you loved who you killed. There's a long tradition of these kinds of songs. <laughs> Banks of the Ohio and so forth. So that was how I decided to twist the song. In this version, I basically recreated that as best I could uh, from my memory. And then it ended with a very long, surreal scene of me going up into heaven and seeing seeing the throne of glory and 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 dancing monkey angels and and all sorts of all sorts of madness that I just stream of consciousness was babbling out for a few minutes. Uh, the song ended up being like six minutes long. And it was very intense, and people were cackling and giggling throughout much of much of it. And both the original time that we did it and the second time happened to be times that people recorded 
because this was back in the early 2000s when not everybody, you know, you didn't have a phone that could record everything and things weren't being, it wasn't super easy to just record everything. Unfortunately, uh, this was being recorded on a portable cassette player, which means that <laughs> there's a lot of speed issues and audio fidelity is not great. Mm -hmm. So we've enjoyed it as an artifact, but it's not really something we share with the public very much. But um, that was a particularly good moment. But all of the, I mean, generally speaking, at shows, especially Eh, no, at all shows, um, I would go up on stage with a little bit of alcohol in me. And actually, when I've done poetry readings, if possible, I would often have a bit of alcohol before going up and doing poetry readings. I didn't need it, but it certainly could make things generally nicer. Yeah. So other than, Mer I mean, other than that time that you were stoned out of your mind, did you generally, did you have a drink beforehand? Did you, you know, did you do anything like that? Did that calm your nerves? I would, I would have a drink if I was really nervous, and if I wasn't, I would save the drinks as kind of a victory lap afterwards. Because <laughs> uh, there's nothing better than just enjoying the rest of the show. Because, I mean, you've seen everyone's act a million times. Then enjoying the rest of the show with uh, your large amount of beer that you've ordered only for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so that could be super fun. But I would, if I was, if I was really, really nervous, I would have a drink and then also drink a bunch of water. So I would also have the, the same pee issue and I would just pace a lot and I would pace outside and I would pace behind the club uh, so that people wouldn't really notice that this man was walking back and forth, listening to headphones and going over his notes. Cause I needed the music to calm me down, but I also needed the beer to calm me down and also walking's good. It was just, it was basically just a, a cacophony of action just to try and, and, and just quell panic and so it would just be me and the occasional smoking waitress outside <laughs> uh, uh, while they are trying to de-stress. And I guess I'm doing the same thing, but in a far less socially acceptable way, <laughs> even more than smoking. I guess I'm also thinking that the time when I was in the band was a time when I was spectacularly poor. Hmm. And... I mean, other people have been more poor, et cetera, et cetera. But at that time, I didn't have a lot of a lot of disposable income. And very often at shows or at readings, there was free alcohol. <laughs> so it was also an opportunity to just take advantage of of the drinks being poured for me. Yeah, that, that's that's I think uh, something that really differs between comedy events and music events. No comedian has ever seen free anything. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> you get a drink ticket after you perform so you can get your free beer after. Huh? Yeah, that's definitely not how it happens at music shows. Oh, definitely not. So what about podcasting now? Oh, drunk podcasting? Hmm. Well, there is an episode of It's Just a Show recorded for Donald Pleasance's birthday where I'm not exactly uh, drunk or stoned, but I am taking a lot of day quill to get <laughs> through a particularly nasty cold and I can hear it. I can hear the difference. Do you generally have a bit of podcast fuel? Uh, it varies. I, I know that sometimes if the mood strikes me, uh, I might just have a, a a bottle of wine to dip into or some uh, cider or beers to dip into, sure. But usually, no. Like I, I like sitting down with a big mug of coffee mm. and chatting. And I know this might sound a bit odd to, I guess, all but the uh, most constant coffee drinkers, but I know it it gives people a certain get up and go, and it certainly does for me in the morning, but like I find it calms me down. I find I am like 
stressed out and in my own head, and then I have some coffee that's fairly caffeinated, and I'm okay. Hmm. It starts me up in the morning, but it doesn't really... It puts you down at night. Well, I wish. But if, I wish anything did. But... <laughs> oh. I'm a terrible sleeper. But anyways, I, I seriously, like, I have friends with kids now, and I have friends with kids who have talked about that period where they are trying to do sleep training with their kids hmm. and, like, teach them how to sleep. And I'm like, wait, can <laughs> I come over and learn sleep training from you guys as well? Because that was not a thing we learned back when I was a kid, or at least not a thing I learned. That was not part of... Mm. Anyway. <sighs> but... um. Well, some episodes of It's Just a Show we've recorded quite early in the morning, but if it's generally been afternoon or evening, I've certainly had a little something-something while while recording it. Hmm. Um, I've been, in celebration of the theme today, I've been working my way through a, a bottle of cheap red wine tonight. Very nice. Yeah. I should finish it by the end of pod. That is something that I did for uh, Leech Woman, just because I thought it was fitting for that, uh, I guess, as of this release, maybe upcoming episode of It's Just a Show. Yeah, the next one out. <laughs> yes. I felt it was right to get into the spirit of things, no pun intended, by just downing a big bottle of blackberry wine. <laughs> blackberry wine. Oh, yeah. wow. It was I didn't great. realize it was that bad. Uh, the Leech Woman is that bad. <laughs> For more information, go to megafog.fm. But there is something I find nice about drinking while podcasting because it is just hanging out with friends, right? And so you yeah. just, as you might with your friends, if assuming everybody involved drinks that you might just you know you would you would have a nice drink while you are letting the chat and the and the conversation flow so so that seems very nice but it is a you know podcasting is a very different kind of performing than being on a stage in front of a bunch of people and should we ever get to the point where any of our shows have live shows because we're that popular mm-hmm. or because somebody is that stupid to let us do it <laughs> Two to three people. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether we decide to get uh, to get properly schnozzled or not. I think for this show, definitely. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, I think it would be. Tr- I think also it's just a show. It would would benefit from that. <laughs> um, did you? Were there a lot of people in the in the Newfoundland comedy scene or later scenes that you've been involved in who were recovering and you know had I- issues or anxieties about being around alcohol? Yeah. Uh, I, I have I have known a few people who were uh, recovering alcoholics or were recovering from other substance abuse issues, and from what I could tell, maybe it's because it's easier to talk about and and publicly deal with recovery from alcoholism than it is for say narcotic abuse, but. Those people, like the the reformed alcoholics and, and the people struggling with their sobriety but making a go of it, they were much more comfortable there and were okay to talk. And a lot of veterans who, who of the comedy scene who are still like touring essentially were alcoholics in their 20s and then really bottomed out in their 30s and are now like cool and collected and a little embarrassed in their 40s. <laughs> So you do hear about it a lot from people who've also like made significant progress. But in my experience, once you get over that initial fear of – and I know it's not that simple of it just being one time. But going to your first few shows after deciding to be sober, it tends to get easier. And in my experience, the alcoholics would stick around. But then again, all the alcoholics were smoking pot, which tended to be like 
At least with at least with the the Newfoundland seed was the hardest thing that anyone would do, <laughs> right? For the most part. I wonder if there was enough of a mass of people who were recovering in the scene that even though sort of alcohol use and abuse was around them, there was nevertheless, nevertheless, there was a, there, nevertheless, there was enough of a space mm. that they could create where it was understood that they weren't going to be drinking. Like that was part of the social conversation was that there are in fact a lot of uh, recovering alcoholics, et cetera, in this scene. And so even though alcohol is here and present and vital for business, that is part of what those comedians are doing is selling alcohol, yeah. that nevertheless a space could be carved out for them. Well, those people would like the comics would tend to stick to their own because, I mean, if you're doing a, a good show, people buy you drinks that that I guess mm. is the free drinks that you get. But I mean, you got that as a musician, too, I, I'd wager. Sure. <laughs> All right. No, I did. I did. <laughs> I'll take that. Affirmative. Uh, but yeah, like that, that would happen. And. The thing is, is that you don't want to be caught in the position of having to explain, no, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm sober uh, to a table that wants to buy you shots. So a lot of comedians who are alcoholics would be very, very quick to leave the stage, but they would hang out with us because we understood. Like we were, right. we either understood alcoholism because it was part of our, our lives in some way, uh, growing up. We, we, you know, lost friends to it or had family members who experienced it or something like that. Or, we were well on the way to becoming alcoholics ourselves. Right, right. <laughs> so we appreciate someone getting out of the shit, so to speak. It's interesting. In one of the other spheres that I've spent a bit of my life in, which is to say academia, there's a bit of a conversation happening now about the prevalence of alcohol and spaces with alcohol throughout academia. It's very common if there's a fancy visiting lecturer and they give a talk that afterwards there's a reception for them and the reception has a lot of alcohol and there's a lot of... There's a bit of a tradition of professors taking some students out for drinks after class in yeah. graduate level, especially. And there's also a lot of history of terrible things happening in these contexts of senior scholars getting drunk and doing terrible, inappropriate things to people. Hmm. And also of people who are not drinkers feeling that kind of social pressure to drink. Yeah. And there's been a lot of discussion about, like, why should this be normalized? Is this the thing that we really want to have as part of academia? Should we create other spaces for this, for socializing? Does it have to be booze all the time? Mm. And I totally am sympathetic to those arguments, and I support that, and I think that there should be other spaces. But part of me is also a little sad about that because – and I say this from a position of privilege – but as somebody who – he is not terribly affected, I, you know, somebody who doesn't seem to be suffering from alcoholism and who enjoys drinking and doesn't and hasn't had those terrible experiences with senior scholars getting getting fresh to to phrase it all too mildly. I see that many of the many of the moments when I've been drinking with other scholars, other senior scholars, other peers, things like that have been fantastic moments. And and alcohol has done what it's, you know, supposed to do, which is to just make everything a bit more bubbly and light and 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 slippy and and lovely. And it feels like it would be a great shame to lose that. But on the other hand, the terrible experiences are way more terrible than my positive experiences. So I'm not saying that they shouldn't 
I'm not saying that things shouldn't move into a direction of having less alcohol around. It's just there's a bit of sadness with that as well. Yeah. Well, speaking from from like a comedy perspective, like I'm not sure if there'll ever be a point. I mean, certainly the the nightclub association with comedy will never go away completely. I, I don't think that's ever really going to change. Although we do get more and more comedians playing in alternative rooms and things like that, trying to create even all ages shows. You, you do see that, and thus, you know, no alcohol is served. What's interesting, I guess, about it and it is valid because people do feel those pressures, and worse, it can lead to terrible scenes in, in academic contexts and in a lot of other contexts, frankly, with alcohol uh, involved, is that I think it's just going to be one of those things that you look back on and go, yeah, things were different then. That's going to be the like your happy social drinking with fellow scholars. That's going to be the equivalent of watching actors smoke in a 1950s movie, I think. That's going to be the quaint old days. Like, I think that's going to go away because we are going to be a bit more accommodating. And it, you lose something, but what you prevent would definitely outweigh that. So I, I, I assume that's where that's going. Maybe not in the immediate future, but soon enough. Was tobacco smoking ever good? Uh, as, as a former smoker, I must say yes and yes. <laughs> You're Not Funny is brought to you by Megaphonic FM. Go to megaphonic.fm and check out all our fancy little podcasts, including, as we mentioned, if you'd like to hear more about comedy and alcohol abuse, stay tuned for the next episode of It's Just a Show on Mystery Science Theater 3000's treatment of The Leech Woman. We dedicated a whole segment to how the movie and the MST3K crew treat the alcoholism of the movie's lead. It's fun! I had fun, but I was drunk. This week, the topic is booze and drugs. Mm-mm-mm. I think, Adam, it's your turn to go first with the jokes. Okay. Well, uh, allow me to first uh, take a little nip of brandy. Mm. As I inform you of a shocking twist. For you see, today's episode, unlike every other episode, has no jokes. Or at least none for me. Uh, for you see, I've substituted my joke for this episode with a little recurring segment known as Crip Keeper or Not. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Now, Chris, to re-familiarize yourself with this, as I understand that uh, you may already be schnozzled already, the goal is this. There are several Crip Keeper jokes that I am going to utter, one of which is not actually from an episode of Tales from the Crypt. You must decide which of these are cribbed, and which is a made-up crypt by me. Chris, are you ready to play Crypt Keeper or not? Sure. All right. That sounds like excitement to me. It <clears throat> is. <clears throat> Our first Crypt Keeper is as follows. <clears throat> the Crypt Keeper is in a pool, but don't worry, he's on a life raft, or I guess death raft, uh, and he is being uh, carried about and fondled by various ladies. and. Well, for some reason, he's affecting a Jamaican accent, which I will not reproduce. I just wrapped my new movie in Jamaica, Boils and Ghouls. Jamaica, where we dance, smoke grass, and the girls be in a voodoo trance. How do you like my hair? The Crypt Keeper points to his sudden new hair, which looked like dreadlocks. I call them deadlocks. Uh. That's what. 
that's that's not really a uh, a drug pun. <laughs> There's a reference to smoking grass, and that's enough. No, no, no. I, I'll I'll allow it. I'm just saying. <laughs> it just barely skirted in. Mm. Second, the crypt keeper is a bartender. Hello, kitties. Tell me your troubles over a nice cold boo. I'll always be your shoulder to die on. Welcome to Fears, the bar where every bony knows your name. <laughs> and lastly, the Crypt Keeper. I like starting any sense with that. <laughs> the Crypt Keeper takes out a bloody human brain and says, this is your brain. <laughs> he then places that brain in a frying pan. It sizzles and crackles. And he says, this is your brain on drugs. The Crypt Keeper then walks over to the same bloody-looking brain prop on a plate and says, This is your brain on Tales from the Crypt, and squashes it with a mallet. Crypt Keeper or not, Chris? Crypt Keeper or not? Wow. All right. <clears throat> I feel like the Cheers Fears one, Cheers for Fears, one of the <laughs> best bands of the 80s. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to boost the world. It was a great hit. The Cheers for Fears one gives the uh, Tales from the Crypt team the opportunity to create to recreate that set, mm-hmm. and I can't imagine they'd want to pass that up, mm-hmm. especially given when these episodes came out and Cheers was so much more in everyone's active memory, or possibly still on the air. I never remember when Cheers finally left this mortal coil. Yeah, they were on at the same time. Yeah, so that that makes a lot of sense. The brain on drugs, I mean, you know, that was everybody was making this is your brain on drugs jokes. Mm -hmm. So you'd think that they'd get around to that eventually. But it's interesting because that one also didn't really center around a pun. That's true. It's not a very it's not a very pun heavy crib keeper bit of writing. So the Jamaica one doesn't have much of a pun either, but the pun and the pun that it has isn't about booze or no. drugs. So, hmm. I, which, see, that makes me think that you would have gone with the Cheers one. But I'm going to say that you made up the Jamaica one. <laughs> no, that's the worst one. And not by me. <laughs> <laughs> ah, great. The genius writers of Tales from the Crypt Holdings LLC. For you see, uh, the deadlocks pun comes from the last tales from the crypt movie called ritual uh where the puppet work is so bad that uh, some versions of the movie removed them and just released it as its own thing uh the brain on drugs pun uh comes from the episode in which christopher reeve uh starts a uh restaurant with a secret and i made up the cheers one telltale signs were there but it was so <laughs> so easy to picture them recreating the cheers bar set yeah see i i figured you would fall for that given that you were wrong about the elaborate recreation of david letterman's set on the previous crypt keeper or not mm. okay let me finish this bottle of wine that i started a few hours before recording <laughs> Liquor, you juiced, poured into a sterilized bottle, added yeast sealed to prevent air from getting in, let sit for a few weeks until all bubbling ceased, and then distilled her. I'm I'm sitting with my jaw dropped. (laughs) (laughs) And not only did I have to make a terrible pun of my own, a joke of my own, I should say, 
but I had to read off the awful ones from the other Tales from the Crypts. <laughs> I have a, 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 a terrible fondness for the liquor you brought her or whatever. Right. Jokes. I barely knew her, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I like them more when they are not sort of shitty to women. <laughs> That's hard. With, with ending with her? That's <laughs> hard to do. I know. And I when those jokes were super popular, which was, what, 12 years ago? <laughs> anyway, when those jokes were super popular, I went out of my way to come up with versions that would end in him. Hence wrecked him. No, I killed him. Yeah, that's that's the best one. I think I can't remember. I might have had one for rhythm. Oh, um, and a few other. I, I just yeah, those are so much. Those are so much rarer <laughs> that, uh, you know, anthem. I don't know. There's so 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 fewer words that end in m than end in er that uh, it was always a delight to find one. And of course, all these uh, jokes will be wiped out once we kind of find a uh, gender neutral pronoun that we all use. Oh man! Do you know Chinese? Mandarin Chinese, are, I believe. I'll, I'll double check this. Didn't have a gendered pronoun, and they added one at some point in the last fifty-ish years in order to align themselves with Western languages. Oh, weird! It's the most frustrating thing <laughs> for those for those of us who are you know hungry for the day when there's a proper gender neutral pronoun so you're not feeling z or zim well i mean if everybody agreed to use that then mm. i don't care like, i don't super care what they what people decide on just i'm just, just that the decision's made just i just i just 